0: A few years back, I attended my grandma's memorial service. She was a great woman, and it was a joy to be able to remember her and the life she lived. After the service, a number of close family members drove to the cemetery, much like this one, to participate in the burial. We gathered around the casket as a few words were said, and then she was slowly lowered into her grave. But then the strangest thing happened. We left. We just left. It's a bit of an odd experience to watch your loved one lowered into a grave site and then turn around, walk away, and go eat ham sandwiches. And that's what we did. Th- this cemetery is filled with people who once walked and worked and loved and lived. And then one day, their closest friends and family gathered around and watched them as they were lowered into the grave. And then they turned around and left. And what gets me about all of that is that one day that's going to be me. And one day my closest family and friends are going to gather around my gravesite and watch me as I'm lowered into the grave and then they're going to turn around and go and eat sandwiches. It just seems so final. But what if death isn't as final as we think? What if death isn't actually the end but it's just the beginning? What if that truth, that fact, changes everything about how we work and walk and live and love? Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene And the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear. When they saw him, they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this day when we remember the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We remember that death has no sting anymore has no st- and God we invite your spirit into this room right now to speak to us to to work in us to work in our hearts and our minds to help us to see more clearly the truth of who you really are and what this day means for our lives and it's in Jesus name we pray amen well good morning happy easter to you uh, my name is Ryan. I am the lead pastor here at Genesis. And hey, you're getting a little bit of everything this morning, aren't you? We got kids. We got fire alarms. I mean, it is <laughs> rocking in here. We got games, and I am so glad that you are with us. I'm glad that you have chosen to come and gather and laugh and worship Jesus. And I could think of no better place than I would rather be than right here with you. And so just a special welcome to those of you who are vid- visiting this morning. Even if you were dragged here, kicking and screaming, listen, I am so glad you weren't as strong as the other person and you made it here this morning. Welcome to you. We are glad that you're here, right? Because today we remember the most magnificent miracle of all time. We remember when a dead man was raised to life by the God whose life-giving power now exists in those who believe in him. The story we just read is not some made-up myth from the ancient world. This is a story, an eyewitness account of a historical event. Now, that said, I realize the resurrection of Jesus can be met with some questions, even skepticism. I mean, it is, after all, unbelievable what happened. But here's the deal. For thousands of years, billions of people have gathered on this same day to remember and celebrate the unbelievable truth of Jesus' resurrection. And they, like us, have celebrated it because it is at the very center, the very core of what it means to be a Christian and ultimately what it means for us to be truly human. And there's good reason for that. So we do something here uh, where if you have a phone, you can open it and open up a, the YouVersion app. You can download that and then you'll be able to follow along with everything I'm going to cover today. Uh, if not, uh, everything's going to be on the screen as well. You brought your Bible with you. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, okay? So just a little bit about what we're going to read, right? The Bible is this ancient text that's been around for thousands of years, and it's been validated time and time and time again. And one of the books in the New Testament toward the end of the Bible is this letter called 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul. And at the time, Christianity in the area, in the known world, in the Middle East, is spreading like wildfire. And much of the credit of God's work is through this man named Paul. Paul. He is one of the leaders of the church, but he's one of the most unlikely leaders in the church. See, prior to Paul converting to Christianity, he was a part of this religious elite group called the Pharisees. And they, along with other religious elite in the first century, sentenced Jesus to death. And so it's very likely that Paul, the one who wrote this letter, was on the scene as the crowds yelled, crucify him, and watched as Jesus was nailed to the cross. Paul was there. He was there. Later we see Paul then overseeing the persecution of the very first church. These first followers of Jesus are are being imprisoned and stoned and put to death, and Paul is giving the command to do that, and he's standing by watching this happen. But then this This event happens in Paul's life. It changes everything. He encounters the risen Jesus. Jesus comes to him and he tells him, you are going to be one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. And that encounter with the risen Jesus changes everything for Paul. Paul becomes the very first church planter, if you were will, in the world outside of the Jewish religion. He brings the risen Jesus to places that have never heard of who this person is, and it begins to spread like wildfire in places like Corinth. Corinth was this big metropolis in the area, and Paul started a church there. And then years later, he writes this letter in 1 Corinthians, And he's writing to this church in Corinth, this brand new church in the first century who he helped start, but now things aren't going so great in the church in Corinth. The people in Corinth have lost sight of their faith. They've lost sight of what is true. They've lost sight of the risen Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to bring them back, to remind them, this is who Jesus is, and this is who you are in light of that. And he finishes the letter, First Corinthians, by talking about what he claims to be the central topic of their lives. This is what he says, starting in verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the Twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, many of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now listen, like always, there is skepticism. There are questions among the people in Corinth about the resurrection. People are beginning to doubt its validity, and, and they're turning away from their newfound faith. They're turning to other gods and other priorities in their life, even to those who are just a few years removed from Jesus' actual resurrection. There is questioning. There is skepticism. And so Paul, he brings it back, and he sticks to his guns because he knows that without this truth, Nothing else matters. None of the rest matters. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope is in Christ only for this life, we are more pitied than anyone in the world. Those are some strong (laughs) words. I mean, Paul is saying, look, if Jesus died and stayed dead, then what are we doing? Because none of this matters. It was just this really unfortunate event that happened to a really good guy. You see, without his resurrection, without him rising to life again, Jesus, he wasn't really the son of God. He was just an imposter. And therefore, sin and shame and death They're not conquered, and there is no hope for any of us in this life and in the life to come. Without the resurrection, we are just fools to even be here right now. If there's no resurrection, then you might as well leave and go eat brunch at Original Breakfast House and go on with your life. This is just a giant waste of time if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, but... Paul is saying, since the resurrection did happen, well, it changes everything. It changes everything for you, and for you, and for you, and for you. changes everything. Look at what Paul says in verse 56. He says, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Thank God, sin and death and shame, they don't have any power over you. You know why? Because Jesus Christ did not stay dead. He rose again. He rose again. And when we place our faith in Him, it changes everything. You know, ultimately we die, the Bible says, because we sin. It's broken us. It's the curse that we all have to live with. One day we will be lowered into the grave. It's imminent. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, avoid that. And it exists because we have turned away from God and we've tried to do life on our own. That's what this is all about. So, look, can I just be brutally honest right now? Can we just, you know, like we're having coffee and we just just need to talk? Because here's the thing, this is way too important for me to just sugarcoat the truth for you today. The most unloving thing I could do is ignore what is really happening in your life and in this world. So let's get real for a minute, can we? Let's just get real. Here's the first truth. None of us in this room are perfect. None of you are perfect, right? Now, you may have walked in here and you thought that. I'm here to tell you, you're not you are not perfect. We are all imperfect people living imperfect lives. Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short. Hey, look. Look around. We're all in the same boat, right? Nobody in here is better than you. You're not better than anybody else. That kind of makes me feel good, doesn't it? Like, you might be looking at me like, man, he's got it together. Nope. Paul says, we all have (laughs) sinned and fallen short including me, ask my wife. She's right over here. <laughs> Raise your hand, Kristen. She'd be happy to tell you all about it. Look, we've all missed the mark. Can we just be real about that? Look, we've, just, we've made a mess of things. And it doesn't take a genius to look around and go, wow, we are not very good at this. And yeah, some sin is bigger than others, I guess, but they're all equally sinful. And here's the thing because of that truth we spend most of our tri- our lives trying to bandage up the brokenness in ourselves all of life apart from Jesus is one giant attempt to bandage up the sin and the shame in our lives and we do this in a whole sort of all sorts of ways in our relationships in our jobs in our reputation We try to, you know, post things on social media that make us feel good about ourselves and sort of bandage up the brokenness in our lives. We try to numb the pain of sin through addiction, through laziness, through Netflix, right? We we seek life in the midst of our mistakes through trying to be a good person, trying to be charitable in small ways. But can we just be real? It doesn't work. Because when you lay your head down at night, The brokenness and the pain and the shame and the sin, it's still there. None of those things can ultimately bring healing to your life. There is no relationship, there is no job, there is no reputation, no amount of money that can really help you have victory over your imperfections. No addiction or lazy living or show on Netflix can really make you forget and numb your pain. And shame, no attempt at being good or charitable will really help you live life to the fullest. This is real. This is true. And you know what is it so interesting to me? Is that the resurrection of Jesus is so often considered really hard to believe for people, and yet the alternative solutions in this life are proven to be ineffective, in actually bringing healing in our lives. I mean, you talk to people who have gained everything in this world, and they will tell you, that's eh, nice, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. It, it doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account, you still have to deal with the brokenness of your life. There's no escaping it, and there is nothing on this earth that can help you deal with it in the way that Jesus can. And here's the other thing that I've noticed, that our attempt to ignore or numb the pain of our sin and shame, you know, it usually comes at the expense of other people. You know, when the relationship doesn't do it for us, what do we do? We go look for another one. When the work and the job doesn't fix us, we bail, we look for another opportunity, we leave people in our dust. When our addiction becomes our primary, primary focus, we chase it over everything else and everyone else. Our pursuit of being good leaves us judging and pushing aside those we disapprove of. And the list goes on and on and on. Our own attempts by our own strength, trying to overcome the brokenness and imperfection in our lives, it not only hurts us, but it hurts others in the process and this is exactly why Jesus comes to us look i don't know what your view of god is okay god may be this like distant you know being that just sort of is like enough with these crazy people i don't want anything to do with it i'm just going to live you know do my thing and forget about him maybe he's like just mad at you i don't know what your view of god is but here's the bible's view of god God looks down at our plight. He looks down at this irreversible situation of ours. And he says, I'm coming to you. You, I know. You've made mistakes. You're imperfect. You can't figure this out. You've tried to bandage it and it hasn't worked. So I'm coming to you. He sees our situation and he knows the only solution is for him to live the life we cannot live. <laughs> to die the death that we deserve because of our sin. And raise again to new life so we could we would never have to fear sin, shame, or death. He knows, God, the God of the Bible, out of love, he knows this is the only possible way for us to experience life as it was intended. He gives us new life by coming to us. In the second letter, the people in Corinth that Paul writes, which, by the way, he has to write two letters. You know why? like they, they don't get it, right? They're just like us, <laughs> right? They the one letter. He's like, this is not working. I got to write another letter, right? He writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? Read it with me. A new person. right? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. This, this is the God of the Bible. He sees us in our situation, our hopeless situation, and he says, I'm coming to you. I'm going to live the life you can't live. I'm going to die the death for you. Why? So that you can become a new person through my resurrection. Oh, when a person turns from their own pursuits in life, and turns toward Jesus. Paul says, that old life of sin, that constant nagging shame in your life is gone. You are given a new life. This is the promise of the resurrection. You become a new person with new perspective, and priorities, and new passion. You begin to see your relationships and your work and your daily routines as valuable and important. You realize that in love, Jesus gave his life and raised again so that you could have new life that begins now and goes on forever and ever. You're carrying some stuff right now. We may not see it. But you're carrying some stuff right now. You're carrying some shame. You think about your past and it just grates at you. You're carrying that broken relationship. Gosh, you wish you would have done something different. How could you have been so stupid? You just received bad news and it is just aching in your heart. Your finances are a mess, and you just, you, you don't know what to do next. You're stressed about your work. You're stressed about your future, and you're just sad right now. The world just makes you sad. You're wrestling with depression. You're, you're fatigued. You're worried. You're addicted. You're carrying something right now. I want you to hear this because this Easter Sunday reminds us that no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, no matter what you are carrying with you right now, it does not matter. There is new life found in the risen Jesus. The resurrection promises that new life is available in the risen Jesus. What you're truly looking for in this life is only found in the resurrected Jesus, the one who conquered sin, shame, and death and gives new life. That begins now and continues on to eternity. Look, because of the resurrection and anybody who places their faith in Jesus, death no longer has power over you when you have surrendered your life to the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, you're going to be lowered into the grave one day, but that's just the only beginning of the life that you are going to spend in eternity, in a perfect place with your Creator. And it starts right now. And listen, when that truth gets in you, into your bones, when you deeply realize death is just the beginning for you, and you've received new life in Jesus, look, it changes everything. It changes everything about how you walk and how you work and how you live and how you love. There's hope. There's joy. There's peace in the resurrected Jesus. Look at what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for who? Ha! Are you everyone? Yes, you are. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and raised, was raised for Damn, it changes everything. So let me say it again. If you haven't heard it yet, new life is found in the risen Jesus. Now, look, I get it. I'm a pastor. You're like, whatever, man. I know it's Easter. You're supposed to say this stuff, right? It's what you do. But I'm not just telling you this because I'm somehow obligated to tell you. It's a good thing there's a big step here because I might get in, you know, whatever. I'd I'd be in the, the, the seats right now. I'm not telling you this because I'm obligated. I'm telling you this because I've experienced it. And I could tell you story after story of people who are sitting in these chairs right now who have experienced that same thing. Because of the resurrection, because of the risen Jesus, I have found new life. And even at the age of 42, I continue to learn and experience what that means. Listen, uh... I'm just going to tell the story. It's not in my notes, but I'm just tell the story. I'm just going to do it, okay? You don't have anywhere to be, right? So, um, uh, back January, starting in January, like, I was just in a bad place. I was struggling. I was sad. I was, I've struggled with depression most of my my adult life, and I was struggling with some things, and so I've just been praying, God, like, I need new life. <laughs> I need new life. My wife was there, and she was she was supporting me and loving me, and Praying for me and since January 1st, God man, God has done something new in me. 42 years old, been a Christian since I was eight. New in me. I start reading my Bible every day. I tell you what, you know, people, oh write the Bible so hard. I don't know what it is. You start doing it, that's like my favorite thing of the day. Sit down and read judges. Like, who knew, right? It's amazing to sit and read God's word, and some of it I don't understand, and I get confused, but there's new life, and and I've been struggling with my weight for a while, and then I started eating. (laughs) You seriously are getting a little bit of everything today, aren't you? I'll take it, Jane. I'll take it. I was struggling with my weight a little bit, and I just, you know, I knew I was getting older. I'm like, I'm going to die, you know? Like, I'm a, that, that day where my closest friends hang around, and then they walk away and go to eat sandwiches, it's coming up here soon if I don't do something. So I started, you know, eating vegetables and stuff, and I just started shedding pounds. I started losing weight, and I feel better today than I ever have in my whole life. Now, listen, that's not because I read a book, and I went whole 30, and I was like, I'm doing paleo, and I'm going to work out. I only have one answer for it experiencing new life. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And when you dive into his word and when you listen to the power of his Holy Spirit and when you allow it to transform you, everything changes. I am not here because I'm obligated to tell you about the risen Jesus. I am here because I've experienced the new life that exists in him. And I'm telling you, it is here for you and all your imperfections, and all your mistakes, and all your sin, and all your shame. Jesus comes to you this morning, and he says, will you take my hand? Will you surrender your life? Will you give your life over to me that you might find it? The resurrection changes everything because it puts an end to the power sin and shame and death have in your life. It brings new life and new purpose to those who believe. Our lives matter and have purpose bringing the kingdom of God into our world. One day, your closest friends and family will gather around your grave site and they will watch as you are lowered into the ground. And they'll turn around and they'll walk away and they'll go eat sandwiches. And my greatest hope for you is that you would begin to live your life now in light of the fact that death is not the end, but just the beginning. And that new life is available, not just for then, but for right now. And because of the risen Jesus, you will have the hope of a life spent with him long beyond this one. New life awaits you in the risen Jesus. And all you have to do this morning is receive it by placing your faith in who he is and what he has done. Will you take that step this morning? Will you let go of all of your attempts to make up for your sin and shame and allow the love of Jesus, the one who came and lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve and rose again three days later so that your old life would be replaced with new life? Will you receive that this morning? It's time for you to receive what you have been searching for. It's time for you to experience a resurrection in your own life. It is not a mistake that you were here this morning. Jesus is calling to you, and he's saying it's time for you to come alive. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you didn't just leave us in this situation. God, yeah, that even despite our, our sin and our heartache and our pain and our shame, that you, you looked down on us and you said, I'm coming for you. You showed your great love for us by willingly walking to the cross, spreading your arms apart to be crucified, the most brutal of all deaths, buried For three days and then rose again, just walked on this earth, appearing to hundreds of people who now we have the benefit of reading their eyewitness accounts. For thousands of years, you have brought new life to billions of people because of your resurrection. And this morning, we receive that again. I just want to speak to those who are here this morning. Maybe you you know this is a step you need to take. You, you know this is a, and the Bible says that if you just, if you confess your sin and that you would ask Jesus to take residence in your life, surrender your life to him, that's all it, that's all it takes. New life is available for you. And if you would just do that in the quietness of your own heart and say, Jesus, I confess that I have wandered, I have looked, but this morning I receive you. The resurrected Jesus. I receive you. We thank you, Jesus, for the life that you give us. We thank you, Jesus, for the way in which you shape us and guide us and give us new life. We pray right now, God, that you would allow us to come alive. Even if it's for the 50th time in our lives, God, we just pray that you would bring new life. Help us to see what you see. Help us to experience the resurrection again, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.